Well, welcome to our Palm Sunday live worship. So glad to have you here today. Uh, our team joked yesterday about maybe waving some palm branches around and uh, uh, celebrating that way, but but we're gonna we're gonna put that on pause uh, for now. But but we are glad that you're here for Palm Sunday, and you know that makes next week Easter Sunday. And and one of the highlights for Christians of Easter Sunday is. Uh, receiving communion throughout Holy Week and Holy Weekend and on Easter Sunday. And, and even though we can't be live in person, we'd like to do that during worship next week. So let me encourage you uh, next week as you gather wherever you're watching to, uh, to participate in the live stream, would you have some bread or crackers ready to go and some grape juice? And, and we're going we're gonna to schedule into the live stream next week an opportunity to receive communion together, uh, at least together in spirit, though not together in body. Uh, so be prepared for that. And, and uh, you'll hear more later about some other ways that uh, you can participate in, in live communion, uh, in-person communion on Holy Weekend, but that's coming more later. Uh, last week, as I was uh, starting the, the live stream of the message, I made a comment that I see uh, quite a few good things happening in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic and, and even potentially coming out of it. And, and I'm curious do you see? What positive things are you seeing? So, so here's what I'd like to do. We're going to do kind of a two-part experiment today. Uh, the first part is, in a moment, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to encourage you uh, to turn to whomever you're watching this live stream with and tell them some positive things that you've experienced in the midst of stay at home or, or you know, whatever your reality has been through this, or some positive things that you see potentially coming out when this is all over. That's part one of what we're going to do. And then part two, if you would be willing, if you're in Facebook Live or if you're in Zoom and know how to use the chat feature, uh, would you go ahead and just type some of the positives you see coming? I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. And then we're, I'm actually going to look at some of those comments uh, on one or both of those platforms uh, and share them so that we all kind of have access to see what good things we see happening in the midst of this. So go ahead and do that now. Um, don't go anywhere. The live stream isn't ending. And as you're talking about them, share them either in Facebook or Zoom chat. And, uh, and we'll be back in 30 or 45 seconds to hear what each other's saying. Fantastic. We already have some coming in. If you're still doing it, keep going. Um, you know, just, just as if we were in the sanctuary together, keep jotting down your notes or your thoughts. I'm going to start reading some of these. Uh, here from Zoom, I see that, the, uh, the, that a family has mentioned spending more time together as a family. Thank God that's a good thing for your family. Some families wouldn't say that's a good thing, but, uh, but that sure is a positive. I, I see another one, more family time, more family dinners. Um, Sewing. Uh, so, so we've got a seamstress who says she, she gets to sew more. Sleepy did. Amen to that. We, we get to sleep in more and not feel guilty about it, right? Um, let's see. Do we have anything on Facebook? What positive things do you see in the midst of this or, or potentially coming out of this whole uh, coronavirus pandemic? I'm not seeing a whole lot of feedback yet on Facebook, but we've got a little latency, so that's okay. Uh, we'll jump back over to Zoom and see if we've got any more there. Cleaner houses, someone said. Oh, that was my wife. She's right. Uh, that's fantastic. 
Yep, yep, good. Any other positives that you see coming out of the, the coronavirus? We'll give you another uh, few seconds to put those into either Facebook or Zoom. Um, I, I see Corey said he's planning to take over the world. I suppose that's a positive for him. Heads up to the rest of us. Thank you, Corey. There you go, got you on there. All right, what else we got? Anything on Facebook? Okay, others are seeing it. I see head nods from the people who are uh, here helping make this. For some reason, it's not popping up on my feed. Um, but we are getting some feedback on that. Well, here's the deal. Praise God for the positive things we're seeing. Praise God that we have the ability to look and say, um, whether these we may normally consider these small things like sleeping in and cleaner houses, um, that we're still choosing to see with eyes of faith in dark days what God is doing. That's fantastic. That takes trained eyes to be able to do. You know, I think one of the realities that we're dealing with in these days is that God is up to something. He is doing something. And it's in times like this, in times of fear and anxiety, in times of sickness and death, in times of what's coming next, where we're dealing with suffering and hardship on different levels. It's in days like this, where God does some of his most incredible work, where God can work through us in ways that perhaps we hadn't anticipated or didn't expect. Now, I say that that God can work, not God does work, because we have a choice in this. We have agency. We can decide what God is going to do in our lives in days like this. And so today, as we open up the book of Ruth again, we'll be in chapter two today, what we're going to see is that uh, the main characters in this story experience God working in them and through them in different ways as they participated or joined in what he was doing. And so we're going to see that in times of crisis, God often works through the most unexpected avenues. That in dark days, if we will stay open to his leading, that we can see God work through us in ways that we wouldn't have expected. Now, at the end of last week's message, you may remember that we saw Ruth made a pretty significant commitment. On the road back from Moab to Bethlehem, um, she stopped and said to Naomi, from now on, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This isn't just some kind of vow to her mother-in-law that, hey, I'm with you through thick and thin. Um, She is actually making uh, a commitment that would sound more like this. May your God take my life if I don't keep my commitment to him. As a matter of fact, some theologians say, uh, given the culture, she probably did this kind of thing and she made this formal vow. We would, in modern theological terms, we would call this a conversion. Ruth begins to identify with the people of God as a child of God and and turns her life over to him in a way that forever changes the trajectory of her life. 
Now that's significant. There's evidence there we don't have time to dig into that God was already working in Ruth in ways that we can't see. But what I want to do today is as we dig into chapter two, I want to see two specific things that that God did with this child, this new child of his, that allowed his work to continue in her, to grow her up, and through her to grow others. So um, we're going we're gonna to start by looking at Ruth in chapter 2 today. I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Before I read they let there, let me remind you, at the end of chapter 1, the situation is that, that Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem, penniless and hopeless. Uh, actually, empty is the word that Naomi uses to describe uh, where they're at, where their heart, their soul, and their physical well-being is empty. Of course, the author gave us kind of a a nod and a wink and reminded us that although they're empty, the barley fields were full. And so that's kind of where we pick up here in Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, I think when we read these verses, we kind of skim right over what a big deal this is that this thing happens here. So, so remember that when Naomi, or, yeah, Naomi and Ruth, when Ruth comes to Bethlehem, She comes only with a red ledger. There is nothing for Ruth that's positive here. She's a widow in a culture that's patriarchal, that's man-driven. She has no man to speak for her. So there's a sense in which she's defenseless. She was was a Moabite, which automatically made her an enemy of, of Jews, at least faithful Jews. Um, She probably spoke their language, but as you can imagine, she spoke it with a very heavy accent that that may have at times made her unintelligible uh, to the community in which she lived. She she may have been familiar with some of their traditions and history and rituals, but, but only through Naomi's filter, having lived in Moab for 10 years. And even her host in this this new land in which she's a foreigner, even her hostess is, by her own testimony, a bitter woman who's angry with God and, and seems at this point more interested in blaming God than in figuring out what she can do or what God might be doing to change their situation. So, so Ruth, with all these strikes against her, she looks around and she says, we've got to do something. Let me go find us some food. Let me go glean in the fields of whoever would welcome me. It's interesting that Ruth takes initiative. Now, let me, let me speak for a minute to, to those of you who are new believers or perhaps renewed believers. You've you've given your heart, you've committed your life to Jesus Christ recently, or you've come through a season where you had turned your back on your faith, but but now you're returning. Let me me speak to you for just a minute and and encourage you that, that I know it can be difficult as a believer, as a new believer or a renewed believer to, to know how to take initiative in your faith. But your growth in your faith 
will come in direct proportion to the initiative that you take. Now, if you're new to faith or, or you know, kind of still blowing off some of the cobwebs, you would probably ask, well, Pastor Earl, how do I do that? What do you, what do you mean take the initiative? Like, like, how do I do that? Let me encourage you to do what Ruth did here right at the beginning of chapter two. Look around, say, what's my greatest need? And then do something to address it. So if you feel like you don't understand scripture, uh, maybe an option for you would be uh, to figure out a, a Bible study group or a Sunday school class that you could join and, and ask another Christian to walk alongside of you and, and, and read the Bible with you and study the Bible with you and pour into you their knowledge about Scripture. If, if you feel like, you know what, what I really need is connection. I need to connect to other believers. I, I need to not feel like an outsider in this new faith or this renewed faith of mine. Let me encourage you, find a, a small group or, or, or some way to plug in with other believers so you can create those friendships. And, and find an older believer who could walk alongside of you and, and pour into you and get to know you and you could get to know them and, and create a deep relationship. This is actually one of the things that I'm excited about. Pastor Greg's uh, going to talk about at the end of the service, and we've already got on Facebook. We're starting Zoom groups uh, soon, an opportunity to, to use technology, even while we're disconnected physically, to remain connected relationally. This is an opportunity for those who would say, that's my greatest need. Do, do you have, um, as a new believer or a renewed believer, do you have some things in your life that they're old habits. They're bad habits. You know you need to get rid of them, but for some reason, it's like they're just sunk in and you can't. Well, confess that to someone. Find an older believer who you trust and who you sense a maturity in and who you could sit down and say, I'm really struggling with this. Will you help me to break free? Or, uh, or maybe, um, maybe you're struggling to know how to pray. Ask some believers around you, what are some good resources? How did you learn how to pray? Ask another believer, will you get together with me weekly and we can just pray together? Prayer is like a lot of things in life. You learn to do it by, by watching and listening and doing it. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? If you're a new believer or a renewed believer, a lot of what happens in your spiritual growth is going to come when you take the initiative and when you intentionally connect with older believers in a relationship that will help you to grow, that will address where your greatest need is. That's so significant that you do that. You're going to grow the most in your faith as you take the initiative to find those relationships. That's what, in a sense, that's what Ruth does here. She says, let me go out and find somewhere, someone who can help us meet our needs. But beyond that, um, Ruth has to kind of, we're going to see, push some older believers out of their comfort zones. And, and you may need to do that too. We're going to start reading again. Uh, I'm going to start again in verse 3 and read down through verse 7. So Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, if you're reading in your text, circle that or underline that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Those four words. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Let me push the pause button there. Those four words, as it turned out, those are significant. You know, as we start to 
as we start today and we talk about taking the initiative with your faith, especially if you're new or renewed, I don't want to send the message that it's all on you. There is a sense in which we all have to take the initiative to grow in our faith, but let's not lose sight of what the author's saying here. These four words in English, as it turned out, are the author's way of telling us. It's an Old Testament way of saying God was directing her steps. She took the initiative, but God directed her. In the, in the New Testament, we might make, uh, you know, Paul says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's taking the initiative. And then he says, for it is God who works in you. That's the as it turned out. So we don't want to lose sight of God's sovereignty, even as we take the initiative to grow. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So we see that Ruth took the initiative, but then what starts to happen here is that Ruth begins to call others into a deeper walk with God. Now, Ruth's initiative fit well within the um, the Israel welfare system, we might say. If we look back at other Old Testament passages like Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, or Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22, we see that God's instructions to the Israelites are that they are not to strip their fields bare when they harvest it. Rather, they're to leave behind grain that they don't get in the first pass. Uh, they're to leave the corners and the edges of their fields unharvested so that the poor, the the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, the alien can can come and can glean and have food to eat. And so the way this worked logistically is that in the fields, uh, there would be hired hands, mailed workers who would work through a field that was full of barley, if you will, and would, you know, uh, gather the the barley or the wheat or whatever they were harvesting, you know, in their hands, they would take a sickle and they would cut it at the root and then they would lay that bundle or that bunch on the ground to the side. And they'd work through the field doing that. And behind the male workers came female workers who would take these, you know, these bundled, these bundles of grain on the ground, they would tie them or bind them somehow. And then they were taken to the threshing floor. So this was the harvesting team. And after the harvest team had worked its way through a field, leaving the edges and the corners unharvested, uh, leaving whatever didn't get bundled on the ground, then the gleaners would come in and they could, you know, whatever they could glean, whatever they could pick up, they could take with them. This is how the Jewish law made provision for the alien, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, the forgotten and left behind. But realistically... This was kind of like someone trying to make a living by recycling aluminum cans they find on the side of the road. This would be like a, a you know a, a father with um, you know four kids at home and a, and a wife 
going to McDonald's at the end of the day as they're closing, hoping to find in the trash some food that didn't sell so that he could, you know, he could glean it from the dumpsters and take it home to feed his family. So Ruth sets out at the beginning of this day and she says to Naomi, let me go find some food to feed us. And she goes into what, what turns out, as it turned out, was, was Boaz's field. And she pushes the boundaries. She pushes the boundaries of what's supposed to happen here, of what's supposed to work. She made a request of Boaz, actually of his, of his field foreman, and says, um, would you let me, notice verse 7, would you let me glean and gather behind the harvesters? So essentially what she's asking is, will you give me first shot before the other gleaners come in, before you remove the grain and take it to the threshing floor? Will you let me come behind and will you let me have some of the grain then? This is a big, bold request. Ruth isn't just, you know, um, shooting for the, uh, the moon and, and figures if she misses, at least she'll land among the stars. What Ruth is actually doing here is saying to Boaz, I think it's time for you to have a deeper walk with God. Or that's what God's saying through Ruth. She's saying to Boaz, you are living by the letter of the law, but maybe it's time to live by the spirit of the law. You see, the letter of the, the Jewish law said, um, give them food. Let them, let them reap. Let them have food. But the spirit of the law said, I want you to feed them. The letter of the law said, if they're willing, they can find food. But the spirit of the law said, I want you to care for the poor, the widowed, the fatherless, the alien, the, the marginalized, like I care for you. I want you to pour yourself out for them because that's what I've done for you. Now, you may or may not know that in order to make this live stream happen, we have uh, our little group here of, of less than 10 people has uh, a Saturday tech rehearsal. And yesterday after Saturday's rehearsal, I was on my way home and I had a call from, from Dennis, one of our AV techs. And, and I answered the call thinking, you know, maybe he needs to get back in the building for something or whatever. I answered the call. I said, hey, Dennis, what's up? And he says, um, has anyone offered to, to House of Mercy? If you're not familiar, we ha have a Hispanic congregation who meets in our building. They're, uh, in English, their name is House of Mercy. Says, Has anyone offered to House of Mercy to help them get up and running with the live stream? And I was like, well, no, Dennis. I don't think any of us had really thought of that. And Dennis said, I, I, I would be willing to, to give my time, my expertise, to help them do that, especially if we can help them have an Easter service uh, so that they can continue to worship together. And I was just, I was blown away. We had never thought of that. And I said to Dennis, you know, I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that you said something. That's fantastic. And that's the, that's the kind of spirit of the law that sometimes we need as older believers to be pushed into. We need someone to come along and say, you're living by the letter of the law, but how about we live by the spirit of the law? How about we go further than we wanted to go? How about we, uh, we do a little bit more so that we're not just eking by, so that we're lavishing people with God's loving kindness? 
And so again, I want to speak to the roofs among us, to those of you who are new to the faith or, or who have renewed your faith. Or, or maybe you're like Ruth before the trip back to Bethlehem and you haven't, you haven't chosen to follow God yet. Maybe you've grown up in it, but you haven't personalized that decision. Or, or maybe you identify with Ruth or Naomi because um, especially in these hard times, you're saying, I really don't know how we're going to make ends meet. Let me speak to you for a minute. I want to encourage you to challenge those of us around you who perhaps seem more established in our faith or more established in our life. I want to encourage you, the roots among us, that you see things that we can't see. You see them in ways that we just can't see them. You express your faith or, uh, you know, in ways that, that we don't. Not, and that doesn't make one expression wrong. It's the same faith, one faith, but different expressions. Your, your faith looks different than ours. Don't shrink back from that. Have the courage to say to us, Maybe it's time to try living by the spirit of the faith. With respect and with courage, maybe it's time that you push back a little bit on us, that you invite us to have a deeper walk by seeing things the way you see them, by by trying different expressions of faith. Don't assume that our expressions of faith are the only expressions. Don't, Don't relegate yourself to having to bear the burden of our faith as your faith develops. But instead, challenge us. Help us to see what we can do. Ask God to help you develop and claim your faith rooted in Scripture and build on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way that allows you to move forward as he wants to. And then as he does that, turn around and challenge us to go deeper in our faith by learning from you. This is what Ruth does with Boaz. And and I want you to notice how Boaz responds to this. I'm going to start reading back in Ruth 2 at verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, feel free to go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. Now now jump down with me to verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from among the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrust the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about... And ephah. I want you to notice that Boaz's response to Ruth's challenge is that he chose to walk a deeper walk. 
When the author first introduces us to Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, he says, at least in the NIV, it says that Boaz is a man of standing. You're, if you have a different translation, it may use different words. Uh, actually, the actual Hebrew words are better translated as mighty man of valor. These are the same Hebrew words that are used in the book of Judges to describe um, Gideon and, and Jephthah. These are described of men who were mighty in battle and who had earned people's respect because of what they had accomplished. Now, and we don't know if Boaz was, uh, was a fighting man, if he was a decorated military hero or not. All we know about Boaz is that he's a landowner, which means he's wealthy, um, that, that we see he's a man who has, because of his wealth, he has resources. We see as the story unfolds, he has character and he has clout. This is a man, we might say, who has made the right decisions in life, and he had the right decisions to make. And he, ex he had experienced more than a fair share of God's providential provision in his life, and he now sat on top of the social ladder in Bethlehem. So Boaz didn't have to entertain Ruth's request to come in and glean behind the harvesters, to hit the fields before the other gleaners did. And even after he had entertained it, he didn't have to act on it. Boaz was already doing what the law required of him. The only thing that compelled Boaz to listen to Ruth's request was his own character and his own desire to please God. And notice what Boaz does. When Ruth says, let's move from this, the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, Boaz steps up to the plate and cranks the ball out of the park. Not only does he allow Ruth to, to come into the fields earlier than, than the gleaners normally would, but um, he tells his harvesters, leave some grain on the ground for her. Let her pick it up. Don't rebuke her. Let her have extra. It'll be all right. Not only did he make available to, to her the water that was only for the paid workers, but when the mealtime came, he offered to feed her. And he didn't just offer to feed her. He pulled out the chair next to him and said, here, sit here and, and share my personal provisions. He gave her so much food at mealtime that she had some left over that she could take home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because of the way that Boaz stepped up and said, I will walk a deeper faith, Ruth was able to take home almost 15 times what the other workers in the field were going to take home that day. The average day laborer took home a pound, maybe two pounds of grain, but Ruth took home almost 30 pounds plus the leftovers from the meal. Boaz hears her invitation to move from the spirit of the law to the letter of the law, to walk deeper, to help her, to get involved personally. And he steps up and he does it. He goes beyond what she asked, beyond what would be expected. You know, that's a difficult thing to do. When you're a Boaz and you have a life of accomplishment and success, when you've made a way for yourself when you've uh, got authority and you've got the rights to do what you want to do, it's hard. It can be difficult to listen to someone of less standing and less authority and, 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 and less experience and to respond so graciously. But I want to talk, talk to those who are Boazes today. 
who in some way or another sit, uh, you know, elevated on the ladder, whatever ladder it is, above the Ruths and the Naomi's. Parents, that could be you. What are you doing? How are you parenting your kids to say to them, I want to hear your challenges. Uh, I want to step up to your challenge. Are you inviting your kids to um, lead the family in devotions, for example, to open God's word and share what they see in God's word? And are you responding positively to that? Are you giving your children an opportunity to direct the family towards expressions of faith and service to others that would grow their faith, not just yours? Are you allowing them to ask questions? Do you respond well to their questions? Maybe there are questions that you never had to deal with. Or maybe there there are issues that you settled long ago and you're confident, you stand firm in your decisions and your answers on those. Are you allowing them to wrestle through those and to struggle through those in your presence? Those things can be hard to do as parents. But that's how we respond to their challenges and grow on a deeper walk with God. Or, or what about ministry leaders? Those of you who lead ministries uh, you know, around our church, for example, are you surrounding yourself only with people who look and think and act like you? Or are you surrounding yourself with younger believers, with younger people who, can, who you can help grow and they can carry on the ministry when you no longer can? Or church leaders, let me, let me speak to you, to our pastors and, and to those who are on our church board and, and some of our other decision-making bodies. Are we looking only to the Boazes of Beulah, hoping that, that we can satisfy what they want and what, uh, you know, what their years of service have earned a right for them to ask of us? Or are we as leaders of this church looking to the Ruths and the Naomis around us? If we spend all our time concerned about only how the Boazes are going to respond, there's going to come times like we're in right now where we look around and go, we are not ready to meet the needs of the Ruths and Naomi's. If we'll allow the voices of those who are younger in their faith, the voices of those who have more needs and see things differently than we do, if we'll listen to them, we'll find that God expands the base from which we can minister to them and and help them be formed into big Christians, into disciples who are following Jesus Christ. Boaz chose to listen to Ruth's question and to go further, to say, yes, I will walk deeper. I will help you grow and accomplish what you need to in this difficult time. It wasn't just Ruth and and, and Boaz who saw God work in them and through them, but Naomi did too. Do you remember where we left Naomi at the end of chapter one? She said to the people at Bethlehem who were happy to see her, don't call me Naomi, my life isn't pleasant. Call me Mara, my life is bitter and it's God's fault. He's turned his hand against me. My life is empty because of what God has done. Something shifts throughout this chapter two and we encounter a different Naomi at the end of chapter two. Follow along as I read starting in verse 17 of of Ruth 2. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrust the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. So Ruth took initiative and she called Boaz to a deeper walk. And and Boaz heard Ruth's call and and stepped up and, and, and decided to go deeper. And to, you know, to move from the spirit of the law to the letter of the law to help Ruth. Well, Naomi also opened herself to experiencing the loving kindness of God. Naomi sees Ruth's results from this day of gleaning. She, she sees her coming home with this 30 pounds of grain and this leftover food. And, and before she even knows the whole story, she's already blessing whoever it was that helped Ruth. And then when she finds out who it was, did you catch what she said? He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Let me ask you a question. Who is the he about whom Naomi is speaking there? Who is the he that has not stopped showing his chesed, his loving kindness to both the living, Ruth and Naomi, and the dead, Elimelech and Malon and Kilion? Is it Boaz? Or is it Naomi's God, Yahweh, the, you know, our heavenly father? I would suggest it's both. Naomi begins to realize that God's loving kindness is still active in her life and that right now, Boaz is the bulb that's shining it on her. You see, when we face hard times, we face hardship and pain and suffering and loss, believer, child of God, we have two choices. We can either clench our eyes shut refuse to look at anything that would tell us otherwise. God is angry at me. He's not fair. This shouldn't have happened to me. I've seen the best of God's goodness and I don't want to see any more of him. Or a second choice is we can squint our eyes and we can begin to look around us with squinted eyes and say, does God have any more hesed left for me? Is there any more loving kindness? Where is he going to show me his goodness in the midst of this overwhelming pain and hardship? You see, what we see Naomi doing is squinting her eyes, trying to see where God is going to be good. And a little bit of his his light breaks through, and she's willing to call it what it is. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. This is tough. Beloved, in times of suffering and hardship, we've got to at least squint our eyes and watch for flashes of God's loving kindness. Because there's something about the hard times that sensitizes our soul to see the full breadth of God's loving kindness. Matter of fact, I would even suggest that we experience God's loving kindness in a more profound way in the dark days when our eyes are squinted, hoping just to catch a flash of it, than we do on the best days when our eyes are wide open and things are going great. God is good in both days, but it's in the hard days that we experience it most profoundly. 
I want to encourage you, if you're walking through hard times right now, if your eyes are clenched shut, open them just a sliver. Look for evidence of God's kindness to you. Understand that when a family from church has a meal delivered to you, that is God's kindness to you. That's a drop of grace that God is sending you through them. When a friend hears that you're lonely and, and asks if you want to spend some time you know, hanging out on Skype or, or video gaming together, understand that that is God saying, I see you and I feel you and I'm here with you. Know that when you open up your heart and you, you say, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm hurt, I don't know why God has turned against me. And when your spouse or your friend or your pastor says, I hear you and I feel you, but you need to know that God loves you and he's still working in you, hear that as God's words to you coming through a familiar voice. Beloved, in dark days, if we will squint our eyes like Naomi did, we will open ourselves to God's hesed, God's loving kindness, in ways that, that we can't, even on the best of days when things are going well. Beloved, in these hard days, God is still working in us. And we can still open ourselves up to his work. If we'll take the initiative, if we'll, if we'll challenge others around us to walk deeper in their faith, if we'll step up ourselves and, and, and move to deeper expressions of faith, if we'll squint our eyes and ask God to show us his loving kindness, he will continue to work in us and through us and, and maybe even in ways that we wouldn't expect it on a level that we wouldn't experience it any other way. Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, three characters who in the midst of overwhelming loss, in the midst of hopeless days, chose to allow your spirit to continue to lead them and guide them. They chose to go places they didn't necessarily want to go, And they experienced your loving kindness in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise. Father, would you help us to be a people like that? Would you help us to be people who choose to experience your loving kindness, who look for evidence of your grace and your mercy and your chesed all around us, who take the initiative and who respond to those around us by choosing to walk in a deeper faith with you? Father, we love you. We trust you to bring us through these days. We, we trust you that, that our story is going to end, end up like Ruth's and Naomi's and Boaz's story with you being exalted and glorified and your plan for us continuing and being unfolded in ways that we can't imagine now. So help us to be faithful and to do our part to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.